Here's the pitch. Oliver wants to throw. He's got Lance Carl open. Caught. 15, 10, 5, touchdown. The Buffaloes at four on a 52-yard pass from O.C. Oliver to Lance Carl. Running the option on first down. it go. He's got three people down there. The ball's up in the air. Caught. Touchdown. Caught by Westbrook for a touchdown. Here's the toss play up Breaks a tackle. Touchdown. Touchdown. That's five for Chris Brown. Five-step drop. Sefo. Lufa wants the deep ball. Welcome into a new Buff Stampede Radio. It's been a few weeks since we've talked to you last. Adam Munster Tiger, the publisher of BuffStampede.com, here with fan correspondent Tyler Ziskin. Tyler, the last time I saw you before today was out in Las Vegas, and uh, you were heading in and out to try to get over your hangover. It's good to see you again. Yeah, I think I'm still trying to get over the hangover <laughs> from that trip, to be honest. Uh, if you ever had uh, an idea in your head that eight days in Vegas would be a good time, just don't do it. It's too long. Way too long. I was there for four days, three nights. It felt like uh, about ten days. So I can't imagine what what you endured out there. I'm still like battling colds ever since I got back from Las Vegas. So my voice is pretty warped here. But uh, let's jump into it. Talk some CU football in this episode. We're nine spring practices in, and I gotta admit, Tyler, I feel a little bit more frustrated. Now that I anticipated that I would be the fact that, that spring practices are closed, you go into these post-practice interview sessions, and you could have just requested somebody that had the worst practice, and without seeing it, you don't know that. So it's sometimes kind of tough to cover spring ball when you can't see what's going on out there. Yeah, I mean, I know I'm definitely way more frustrated. Last year, it felt like you know we really got a pretty good idea of where the team was going, um, what kind of talent you had out there, who was getting better, who was moving up the depth chart, those type of things. And this year, honestly, I just feel pretty left in the dark. I mean, you just kind of have to trust what the coaching staff says um, at the end of practice. You just don't really get a, a good feel for everything yourself. I mean, especially the new guys that you haven't had a, got a chance to watch yet. Um, those are the big ones for me. Um, and so, Steven yeah, Montez has taken all these reps, and we're just yeah. not getting a chance to yeah, uh, feed our uh, Steven Montez addiction. Yeah, right, yeah, exactly. It would have been really nice to see kind of with our own eyes what he looks like running the starting offense. So, yeah, I mean, there's definitely a lot of frustration uh, this year. It's Honestly, kind of a surprising decision to me because, I mean, Matt came up to us all the time during practice last year and was chatting it up. Like, seemed to be having a pretty good time with it being open. And, I mean, I don't know what goes into the decision to keep it closed, but I was definitely surprised that there weren't a few more open practices. I would think a big part of it is with Darren Cheverini coming in and maybe wanting to keep uh, some of the new wrinkles offensively a little bit more of a secret. And then... I think it's just over the course of time, with all the importance on it, maybe just try to shut out any distractions. But no, yeah, and I will say this, it's it's not like CU's the only school that closes up practices. There's a, a good portion of the country that does that, so they're not alone in that. And, the, and then CU, 
they do allow you to interview any assistant coach, any player that you want to, where some schools will pick the players that you have to talk to. So it's not the worst situation ever, so I shouldn't complain too much. It's just we got we got spoiled a little bit being able to see earlier spring practices. Uh, when you look at the CU fan base right now, it's kind of interesting contrast. You've got some really jaded CU fans that have just been beaten down over the course of the last decade, and it's totally understandable for them to say, I want to see it on the field before I believe anything. It's great that we have this new strength coach, but I'm not going to believe anything until I see actual results. I totally get that. But it seems like there are some real reasons to be optimistic about this team in 2016. Yeah, I mean, definitely. It's it's one of those situations where, I mean, I would honestly lean a little bit more towards that jaded side of the equation where we've watched this happen for so long and so many years we've seen things go right. And I think they're you know, they're they're close. They're definitely really close. But for me, you just have to you have to see the wins before you can really start to feel like that this thing is really turning around. I mean, there's no doubt there's more talent in the program. There's more doubt. There's no doubt that there's a better opportunity to win at this program than there was when John Embry was here or when Mac first took over. So, I mean, the progress is in the right direction. It's just a matter of how patient are you willing to be with this program. Because to me, I'm not 100% convinced that this is the year where we take that big jump. I think next year where the schedule kind of opens up a bit is where we can really make those expectations. So to me, it'll be interesting to see how patient Rick George is, how patient the fan base is. Because the schedule's tough this year. I'm not 100% convinced that we had, there are six wins on the schedule. What are your main reasons, first starting kind of with the optimistic side, what has you feeling the most optimistic about this 2016 football team? Um, I think the QB situation is probably what has me the most optimistic. I mean, there are definitely some doubts involved with it as well, but you've got three guys that I feel pretty confident in in terms of talent level. I mean, Cepho struggled last year. If he's somehow able to come back, I think he would be able to have a better year, um, you would think. Obviously, um, with Webb coming in, you know, he's a, he's a guy that a lot of people have a lot of confidence in. He's been successful at a big-time program. He runs a really um, high-powered high offense. Um, he's a guy that I think Reading between the tea leaves a little bit, that's who the expectation is that's going to start next year for us. Um, so I think he gives us an opportunity to take that next step because so many times in college you see um, a, a team that has a good quarterback can do a lot of good things. I mean, you take a look at Memphis last year with Paxton Lynch, program that doesn't have a whole lot of history. He, he comes in there and starts, and all of a sudden they're ranked for the second half of the year. So um, that's the main one for me. Um, kind of with Levitt. Um, what he did for the defense last year, I think Cheverini has a chance to do that with the offense this year. I mean, I can honestly say I don't. I feel more confident in our two coordinators that if you include Cheverini in there, um, than a lot of teams around the country. I mean, Levitt did a lot of really amazing things for us last year. You look around on NFL draft boards, there's a lot of guys we played against defensively in the top of those draft classes, and uh, you know what I mean. We proved from basically dead last in the Pac-12 in all defensive categories to more middle of the pack this year. And I think you can expect um, similar improvement offensively with Cheverini on board. And the last thing for me is experience. Uh, just simply put, it's the first time in a while that we're not young. I mean, we've been one of the youngest teams in the country for the past three or four years. That's no longer the case. I think experience does matter and having senior leadership uh, and along all parts of the team, I mean, offense, defense, I think that helps you win games. Yeah, the, you pretty much uh, echoed what, what I had written down in terms of being optimistic about this team. 43 scholarship upperclassmen has got to be the most since I've covered the program. I can't remember a time. I, they had the 28 seniors in John Embry's first year, but the, 
very few juniors behind that. It wasn't a great situation he came into depth-wise. It's guys that have played a lot of football. And, uh, yeah, with Jim Levitt, you think a year ago at this time, they were swimming. I mean, he basically had two weeks before spring ball to try to get everything prepared for spring ball. Now it's it's all fine-tuning everything. And if you've looked at Jim Levitt's history, I mean, everywhere he's been, it's been gradual improvement. And uh, every time I've talked to Jim Levitt since he's gotten hired, he's talked about how much of a work in progress it is. So the fact that he is not excited as excited about what he did last year as the fans are is, is a good sign. And yeah, Davis Webb is an, obviously another reason for optimism coming in. We talked about uh, this maybe being an apples to oranges comparison, but his quarterback rating uh, in his two two seasons playing there at Texas Tech was better than anything CU's had since Joel Klatt was at CU. And, and the fact that they are bringing in the concepts that helped him be successful at Texas Tech here at CU uh, makes you feel pretty good that uh, he'll be able to pick that stuff up very quickly, even though he'll just be getting on campus this summer. On the other side, what has you most pessimistic about this this football team does for me it starts with the offensive line production and and based off kind of the disappointment we saw last year them ranking last in the Pac-12 in, in sacks allowed yeah I mean kind of a different we, we thought that was going to go differently last year too so that's yeah. there's definitely a lot of um, concern involved with that I think just staying healthy there more than anything though will really kind of solidify that uh, Jeremy Irwin is a guy that you want to be able to stay healthy all year because left tackle is probably the most important position there is out there on the line. And just stabilizing that, I think, helps us in more ways than you can really measure. Um, the, the, the number one thing I had on there, though, was schedule. We talked about that a little bit earlier. There's just, I mean, you look at the teams we play on the road this year, there's not a lot of winnable games. I mean, you're playing Oregon, you're playing USC, you're playing Michigan, you're playing, who else do we have? next year um arizona and you're playing who else do we have I don't um, have I, yeah we have one, one more pac-12 game um on the road next year and none of them are really ones that you'd say wow we have a pretty good chance to win that game that makes it tough to find six wins i mean you have seven home games in that scenario one of which being in Vesco for csu um and you basically have to win them all to be bowl eligible so i think that's the biggest concern for me is are there just enough winnable games out there for CU to really make that next step that a lot of the fan base is you know, saying this is really the last year that McIntyre has to get that done? So that's a concern for me. The second one is just the culture of winning. I mean, teams that know how to win usually find a way to do so. We are yet to get to that point. So they have to find a way to win a few of those close games and really start to believe that they can. That's a big one for me. What about place kicking? We spent a lot of time last offseason talking about it. Uh, Diego Gonzalez, of course, struggled, uh, made just 62% of his field goals last year. I looked back, I looked at the stats, and the other 11 starting kickers in the conference combined to make 82% of their field goals. So you could say, well, college kickers just aren't good, but that was, simply wasn't the case, at least in the Pac-12 last year. I don't know if there's anything he could do in practice to make anybody really feel comfortable until he goes out there and does it in games. Yeah, I mean, I will say we put ourselves in too many situations where we need to kick field goals. I mean, you look at our red zone offense last year, you'd like us to be more efficient there. Um, so I think, honestly, just scoring more touchdowns in the red zone and being capable of punching it in when you have the opportunity will alleviate some of that stress, shall we say. And, I mean, the closer you are to scoring, I mean, the easier the field goals are, too. I mean, obviously, he's he's not going to be the most accurate kicker of all time. I think we knew that coming in. So the more pressure we can take off of him by being efficient in the red zone, I think, really helps us the most. 
Yeah, and there's a, a walk-on, Davis Price, the a prep kid from Evergreen that's going to join the team. So we'll see how he kind of fares once he gets on campus. Uh, another concern I had was just kind of the depth at certain mm -hmm. positions, safety, one of them, uh, inside linebacker, the other. It's like if they don't have any injuries at both of those spots, I mean, at inside linebacker, you've got Addison Gillum, Kenneth Olobode, Rick Gamboa, and then Drew Lewis coming in as a JUCO player. That's a pretty solid group of four. But outside of that, if any of those guys gets hurt, your depth gets really scary. And then at safety, again, a situation with Tedrick Thompson, Ryan Moeller, Afalabe, Laguda. You feel good about those three guys. Kyle Trago comes in as a JUCO guy. If he can prove to be a Pac-12-worthy guy, you've got four guys there. But again, no real quality depth beyond that. Yeah, that was actually my third piece as well. And those are two positions where you see a lot of banging bodies. And in years past, we've obviously seen depth issues at both safety and linebacker. So you can expect that to maybe be an issue again as we go throughout the season. So those are big concerns for sure. Um, I think offensive line you could throw in there as well. You feel pretty good about maybe the top five or six guys as long as they can stay healthy. And outside of that, you're going to be running in a guy without experience. So those are the ones for me that hopefully you can get lucky in those situations or, or you find somebody who's ready to play. Um, but, yeah, I mean, that quickly becomes an issue if we have a couple injuries at those positions. Yeah. Well, we got a lot of questions from fans, so let's jump into our mailbag here. You've got mail, 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 you've got mail, mail, you've got mail. Jace Kinney on Twitter asked, who has been the most surprising player of spring ball so far? Some of these questions are going to be a little bit more difficult to answer than normal just because practices have been closed. Um, but my answer here was really based off somebody that had been brought up by multiple coaches and other players without me really even trying to prompt them to, to bring his name up, and that's Tim Lanat, somebody that came in as their highest-rated player from the 2015 class, redshirted, and I thought this might be another year kind of in the incubator for him and kind of maybe have a backup role, but no, from the very beginning of spring ball, it's that Tim Lanat's been doing an awesome job at center. Alex Kelly maybe now moves out to, to guard if Tim Lanat is indeed ready to take that uh, starting center job. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know if I would say it's the most surprising for me, though, because I think all along the expectation was for him to come in early and play. Um, whether or not it would be at center or guard, I think that maybe the fact that it's at center is a little more surprising because I think a lot of people expected him to start out at guard. Um, but, I mean, I, even last year when he was redshirting, I mean, he got talked about a lot to me as a guy who was really impressing. Um, so the answer for mine was actually KB and Ento, and we talked about this a little bit. Um, when he signed and that on film, like people were really like, what the heck is going on here? But on film, you could kind of see some flashes um, that he might be able to help us. And I think right away, people were kind of surprised with how often he was being <coughs> talked about by the coaching staff as someone who could help them out. And again, we haven't had a chance to see him yet. So who really <laughs> knows? But based on what we've been hearing, he's been definitely out there making flashes. And, you know, I, I would think at this point, based on what we've heard, he'll be on the two deep at least and out there on the field playing. So that was the answer for me. Well, they did have the one open practice. Of course, we were out in, in Las Vegas, Vegas yeah. and uh, Patrick Godosi did cover that for BuffStampede.com, and he said that KB and Ento uh, flashed during the scrimmage action that they saw that day. It's always the least heralded guys that come on campus that are, of course, going to be <laughs> going to be good. Yeah. Um, even Brett Tons had a great scrimmage that day. Uh, so okay. another guy that was far under the radar when they they signed with Colorado. Vince Blukak uh, asked, do you foresee any football players transferring after the spring game? Predictions on starters for the O-line. Um, I will say I don't think there's going to be a lot of attrition. Uh, we've 
seen that attrition already kind of strike with the Blake Robin situation, Evan White, Kate Absey, Connor Center deciding to give up football. I would think most players that have gone through spring ball will be back, but I don't know if you've ever if we've ever gone from the end of spring ball to the beginning of camp and not had at least one piece in mm-hmm. terms of attrition. I mean, I'm not going to make any predictions there. I'm not trying to make any enemies. But uh, I, I, w- I would say I don't expect there to be a lot of attrition. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think that you were talking a little bit before the show that we have it down to 85 scholarships now. So if, so if there is no attrition, we're fine. I mean, obviously, you're in a position that we have the, the allotted number of scholarships there. Um, you know, I agree with you that it would be probably unlikely if a guy or two didn't leave. Um and if, if that's the case, maybe they start to look into their options to see if they can bring in somebody in a position where we have some depth issues. Um, you hear about Jason Sanchez getting hurt at safety. That's obviously the one that sticks out the most right now. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, there's no name that pops into my head that's like, I'd be surprised if he was there in the fall. With the O-line, I went with a prediction here of left tackle Jeremy Irwin, left guard Jared Coe, center Tim Lanat, right guard Alex Kelly, and then right tackle Shane Callahan with John LaSella kind of being my my wild card here, a guy that could potentially earn a spot. Yeah, that's actually the same five that I had um, with LaSella potentially taking in some taking in the reins there as well. And I think Hawkins is a guy who, if you see some injuries, obviously had some experience last year as well. So uh, between, I think I would be surprised if outside of that seven you found anybody starting. I think the five, obviously, we both mentioned are the most likely. Um, group right now but the other two I think definitely have a chance to move in there as well we'll just see how things shake out you've also got Sam Cronsage who has some experience at offensive tackle Sully Weefels who's going to be a a senior this year that uh, hasn't played a lot of quality football but uh, is it is going to be a senior kind of a depth piece there a guy that I've heard really good things about but I don't think he's going to be ready to compete this year is Aaron Hagler um, somebody that they initially offered him as a tight end Mm -hmm. and uh, he grad uh, gradually moved over to offensive tackle during his senior prep season. And then uh, it still looks like he needs to add about another 20 pounds to compete at the Pac-12 level, but hearing really good things about his potential down the line. 49ers, one asked, are the offensive linemen really getting bigger and stronger? We really need this unit to gel in order to win six-plus games. Uh, It's tough in the sense that Drew Wilson has only been in Boulder since January. But... uh, you hear the players talk about how they've really bought into him more so than the previous strength and conditioning coach. And every player seems to be happy about it, but the offensive linemen are the most happy about it because they've gone back to an Olympic style approach with lifting instead of doing yoga and CrossFit workouts in the middle of the week. These, these offensive linemen don't want to do that. They want to move around a lot of weight. So from that standpoint, I mean, they're happier. We'll see. We'll see. I mean, it's kind of that wait and see thing that we are are kind of jaded about now, you know, 10 years into struggles with this football program. Yeah, I mean, to me, bigger and stronger, I mean, I I honestly don't know how much bigger they need to get. I mean, you look at the guys who we project to be starting, I wouldn't say any of them are small. I mean, Jared Coe, I guess, could gain a little bit of weight. Um, Alex Kelly is probably shorter than you'd like. But, I mean, there's... uh, Overall, I mean, it's a pretty big group of guys. I mean, Shane Callahan is not a small dude if you ever sit next to him at all. I mean, he, he, there's no Stefan Nembot in terms of just like absolute, wow, this is a scary looking human, I guess I would say. But I mean, I, I don't think they're over or undersized by when you look around the rest of the country. I mean, their odds like Alabama's in the world have 
guys who are 330 pounds, but every one of those dudes are five stars too. I mean, you have to yeah. be realistic about what you're getting there. Um, stronger, I mean, yeah, again, he's been here two months. It's hard to really say. We haven't gotten to watch them in live action again. So uh, who really knows? But, I mean, you, ha you have to have faith, I guess I'll say, that things are moving in the right direction. I mean, you look at what has gone on since Mac has been here, and every single year you can see um, improved talent. So I, I don't expect any different this year. And back to the buy-in from the players on Drew Wilson is I've heard positive things from the players about new strength coaches when they come in, but I've never heard this overwhelming support for him in such a short period of time. Yeah, definitely. I think people are just, or the team, I guess I should say, not just people, are just happy with his approach. I, mean, I don't really think everyone was unhappy with the strength coach before. I just think he did things differently, and he didn't. He wasn't as attached to the team mentally as Drew Wilson is going to be, it sounds like. Uh, he just gets along with the players more, and I think they appreciate that because they spent a lot of time together, probably more time than any of the other coaches do, especially in the summer. So actually having a relationship with that type of person and that trust that he's trying to make you a better player, I think that's really important. Without question. LJ Buffs on Buff Stampede asked, how is Dylan Keeney progressed? Do y'all see him y'all? I like that. I say y'all sometimes too, and yeah. I have no idea why. <laughs> Do y'all see him progressing as a legit threat this year and being more involved? If he's a liability at pass blocking, can they find other ways to get him involved? Well, Dylan Keeney is now a redshirt sophomore, and he's still 6'6", 220. So I think anybody that thought that he would eventually put on a bunch of weight and be a versatile tight end, you got to let go of those dreams because I think he is what he is. He's a pass-catching specialist, and that's what he's always going to be. How much he's used in that role, yeah, will depend on, on how much he's progressed. I thought he was underutilized last year, honestly. For sure. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you watch, there are plenty of times in watching game film and just watching the game live, he's wide open somewhere and just doesn't get the ball. And he really wasn't in that much either. They kind of used him as a gimmick weapon last year that people didn't really take attention to, which is yeah. interesting because you put him out there to see if he gets open. But, yeah, I would think they're going to use him more, especially with Cheverini in the fold. I mean, in fact, count on me, think of a guy like Jason Morrow at Texas Tech who has that similar style. I mean, he was not crazy fast by any means. He was a really skinny guy who dominated at Texas Tech. So I think they definitely know how to use that position in his offense. Um, I don't know if he's as good as Jason Morrow. Probably not. But he's a guy that I would think they would find ways to get the ball to for sure. He's not a pass-blocking guy, which is, again, fine, because Sean Irwin is one of the best pass-blockers there is. You can use both of those guys in whatever situation you need. So to me, if they can both come in and – you know, have an impact at, their, at what they're good at. I think the tight end position could actually be pretty fun to watch this year. Yeah. So to definitively answer where he says, is he a liability at pass blocking, I'd say no because he's not going to be asked to pass block. Yeah, ever. I just don't think it matters. He won't be in there. They'll have Sean in there in that situation, and Sean's going to get it done for you. So. And George Frazier plays some tight ends. Sure. Some H-backs and fullback will be used in that role as well. All right, let's move along here. Brian66 asked, with all the reports on running backs this spring, we haven't heard a lot about Dino Gordon except that Darian Hagan was taking him under his wing. Is Dino stepping up to be the feature guy, or was that coach speak to drive the other players? It seems there is a logjam at the position now with the addition of Donovan Lee as a full-time running back. How do you think that battle will play out, especially with a stud running back coming in this fall? I think Hagan's comments were maybe uh, a little taken out of context. I think that he was simply trying to imply that Dino Gordon has this untapped potential for the future more so than that he's going to be a, a front runner to be a feature back in 2016. Yeah, I mean, I, I 
if he thinks that, I don't think that's going to come to fruition. I agree with you. I think that was kind of more of a looking into the future type situation for us. I feel like we're pretty established in that running back committee. Um, I don't know if there's necessarily a logjam. I, I think this is uh, this is what happens when your football team is getting better. I mean, this is the type of, if you want to call it a logjam, you want this logjam at every position. That's what elite teams do, right? I mean, they have guys It's like, oh, well, someone's going to get hurt, but we have this guy sitting in the yeah. wings. So I think you're really seeing this position kind of be the first one to take that step that says, wow, I mean, there could be, there are a lot of things that could go wrong at running back for us next year, and they'll still be in pretty good shape. So that's kind of how I look at it. Um, Dino Gordon is not a guy I see you really playing that much this year unless we do have those injuries. Um, I think Donovan Lee, Philip Lindsay, maybe Michael Atkins, um, those are the guys that you're going to see take most of the snaps this year. Yeah, and, and McIntyre, he he's pretty vague with most of his answers to in those post media uh, post practice media scrums. But he was asked about the running backs, and he he flat out admitted that uh, that Philip Lindsay, Donovan Lee, and uh, Patrick Carr have been the most consistent in there. Which of course led to the question, well, what's going on with Michael Adkins? Uh, still sounds like he's just a little bit inconsistent. He's had the injury issues. He's kind of the guy that kind of just shows up on, on game day and does well, but you don't ever want to kind of reward those players with you know through the media if they're not showing up every day in practice. But, I mean, those, those four guys are clearly ahead of Dino Gordon in terms of yeah. experience. And um, uh, and then, uh, you know, he, he brings up the running back coming in uh, with Bo Bichirat. And uh, he, he's an intriguing wild card. You look at... I agree. I don't think it's a log jam. I just think it's a good depth situation running back. And you go, okay, well, they probably don't need Bo Bisher at this fall. But then you watch his tape, and you go, I don't know how you can keep him on the sideline. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see what happens, I guess. But, I mean, it's almost one of those situations, I'm going to bring up basketball really quick, that Tad Boyle uses his red shirts really well. I mean, you look at Wes Gordon, he could, be a, he could have been a senior this year. And now you get him back for one more year. And how many times have we seen – someone develop as a football player and they're a senior and they're like, wow, man, if we, I wish we could have redshirted him his freshman year and seen him for one more year. I think maybe this will be that situation for Bo Bisher at a guy where, yes, he's probably talented enough to play, but would you rather have him play a few snaps at 18 or be a stud at 21 or 22 and kind of have all those carries to himself? So for me, I think I, I would like to see us redshirt him if it was possible, just because I do feel really good about the guys ahead of him right now. What's interesting with Bo Bisharat is that we, we talked earlier about lack of depth at inside linebacker. And Bo Bisharat could be a heck of a linebacker in college, but one of the reasons he's coming to Colorado is because they guaranteed him an opportunity to play running back. So you can't just throw him over on defense. But mm -hmm. it's kind of an intriguing thing is if you're in, in dire straits and you got this, this kid over on offense, could be a, a really good potentially be an all Pac-12 linebacker down the road. But also, I guess it goes back to, and Kalen Balazs was like this coming out. He didn't have that, like, he didn't have that desire to play defense. And I guess if you don't have that brain desire to play defense, it's wrong to put somebody back there. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it takes a certain type of guy to be a defensive player for sure. So, um, you know, if he's, if he's not that guy right now, or if he just wants to, uh, you know, a chance to play running back, which a lot of guys don't, you know, with, where the way running backs are going yeah. around the country and in the NFL. So it's kind of interesting to see. But, I mean, on his own, he could very easily figure out, look, I mean, I'm not playing as a freshman with these five guys in front of me. So maybe I do take a chance at defense. I think they give him an opportunity to make that decision for himself. And, you know, if he comes in and he's clearly the best guy, he'll play. But, you know, we'll see how that goes. Carlo Buffs, 21, asked, 
Is it your impression that we are now Texas Tech's offense with a little bit of our playbook from last year? Or are we last year's offense with a little bit of Texas Tech's playbook? Good question. Uh, I'm going to say it's 65% Texas Tech, 35% CU's playbook from last year. Really? Okay. I mean, I, I haven't been able to really see that or read into the questions, but I would have actually reversed that probably um, but just based on what I was thinking, um, that we would definitely throw in some Texas Tech wrinkles into the offense, but by and large it would be Lindgren's offense more or less. I mean, either to me, 35% different is very different too. So it'll be interesting to see, I guess, um, what kind of new stuff we see when we get into fall camp. Um, I think it's going to be a lot of fun. I hope they, they open most of them this year because I think you could really learn some stuff about what they're doing offensively and kind of find some formations that we're really excited about. So, And it's not like CU ran a pro-style offense before. Right. So implementing a lot of the air raid stuff is it's going to be different, but it's not going to be this, this crazy transition. The biggest transition that's taking place, from what I understand from talking to to uh, people that I trust and, and players and coaches is that it's the tempo now. It's fast-paced all the time. And there's going to be some surveying of the defenses when you line up, and there's going to be some audibles, but it's push the pace, keep the defense on their heels, don't let them rotate guys in. That's really one of the staples of, of what Texas Tech does. And there's this misnomer, and I, I think we, on our previous mailbag, we got some concern from a fan that didn't want them to run the air raid, I think because he thought it was going to mean that they abandoned the running game. Yeah. But you look at DeAndre Washington for mm-hmm. Texas Tech the last couple of years, what, he rushed for 2,600 yards, I think, uh, no. the last two years. So uh, they're, they're definitely going to run the ball quite a bit. Yeah, they've always had success running the ball in that offense as well. I, I don't think you need to be concerned that that's going to go away at all. I think what you will see offensively is less rollouts they get the ball out quickly, so there's not going to be a lot of time for rollouts. We saw a lot of frustration with the offense last year of us rolling out to a, the side of the field with one wide receiver option and Cepho and just throwing the ball away because there was nothing open. I think you'll see less of that this year. They're going to get the ball out in a hurry. There's going to be guys, multiple guys on each side of the formation pretty much every single play, and they'll do a good job of finding guys who can create in space. I, I think that's the, those are the main differences you're going to see. I think it's kind of like almost what we expected when the staff came in initially, too. Remember that first ball? They were getting the ball out quickly. It, it looked different than the, some of the stuff we saw in games. And so I think this is actually kind of a, a lot of what people had people excited about Brian Lindgren and Mike McIntyre when they got got here with that spread pistol, you know, attack. And so, um, yeah, I don't think there's anything to really be concerned about there. The only thing will be just can these players get used to practicing and playing at that tempo by the time they start the season. That'll be the biggest challenge that they'll face. Maximus Buff has said was just looking at the latest football eligibility chart and quarterbacks stood out to me as a concern after next year with four senior quarterbacks. If they all use up their eligibility, the year after we would only have Steven Montez, Sam Neuer, and whoever we sign this year unless we bring in another transfer. That's damn thin. Please discuss. Tyler, lead us off here. Uh, well, I think with our confidence in Steven Montez, um, obviously you have to avoid him getting hurt in that scenario, but... By then, I would feel pretty good about him taking over the reins, assuming his um, development goes the way we expect. Uh, But, yeah, I mean, having only three guys is probably a little bit light. You'd like to have a fourth in there for sure, Mm -hmm. but you never know. I mean, maybe we take two guys in this class. I'm not 100% sure what their their goals are there. Um, But, yeah, I mean, you have to avoid injury for sure, but we'll see. Maybe they look at a transfer in that scenario. But I I think Cepho probably is going to redshirt, so I think that might take care of itself. 
Yeah, it's it's tough to convince two highly regarded prep quarterbacks to to commit in the same class. You can maybe get a highly regarded guy and then an under-the-radar guy as long as you keep massaging the back of the highly regarded guy. Um, it can be a little bit tricky, especially, I mean, there's certain programs like, you know, in Alabama could get away with that. But Colorado, you've got a, it's a pretty delicate situation to convince two prep quarterbacks uh, to sign in the same class. There's a lot of movement at that quarterback position across the country, quarterbacks leaving schools. And so, I mean, a year ago, we never would have envisioned Davis Webb coming to Colorado. So um, things like that can kind of tend to work themselves out. You could potentially look at a Juco quarterback, although that has not really worked out very well for Colorado. Brent Burnett, Nick Nelson, uh, Jordan Gerke. I mean, they haven't had a really good track record of bringing in Juco guys. There's... Chris Helbig and Casey Marksbury, two walk-ons coming on campus. You can't count on them to be guys that will be solid depth pieces, but yeah, you at least give them a shot. You, get, you keep an eye on them, see how they do. But again, yeah, we're, we're super high on Steven Montez. We haven't seen Sam Neuer. I, we, I think I, t- I told you this in a text message, Tyler. I, when they recruit uh, players out of the Pacific Northwest, it's kind of hard Kind of like we're, we're dealing with Chase Cord, a quarterback recruit that plays at a lower level in Arizona, is when the competition level isn't there, it's kind of hard to know what you're getting in a quarterback. And since Sam Neuer never camped out at CU, we haven't seen him. I feel like he's this great unknown coming out to Colorado. Yeah, definitely. I mean, we know the, the least about him as we have about any other quarterback recruit that I remember coming in. So it'll be interesting to see just how ready he is when he shows up on campus this fall. But yeah, I think four is the number you want to be at in terms of scholarship sure. quarterbacks. Um, so I'm sure they'll find a way to get up to that number. One ALCD asked, what quarterback do you like most of the ones the Buffs have offered? And which one do you think they end up with? They've offered some four-star quarterbacks that really don't seem to be looking at Colorado. So of the quarterbacks that seem like they're interested in Colorado, you're basically talking about Tyler Lytle, Chase Cord, and Chase Garbers. All three of them are coming to visit Colorado here in the coming days, the coming weeks. I think we agree here, Tyler. I would probably lean toward Tyler Lytle in terms of the one that I like the most, just because I've seen him against better competition in high school, whereas Chase Cord, without having seen him in person, I've heard good things about him. I just It's hard to evaluate him uh, against that competition. Yeah, for sure. I, I kind of agree with that approach as well. Lytle's a bigger body. Looks like he's a pretty good athlete as well. Chase Cord is a guy that I think probably fits the offense to a T, um, but we just don't know how capable he is of playing at this level because he plays at such small school in Arizona. Um, we'll get them both out. I don't know if any of them are playing at camping here this summer. Do we have? Those guys have already been offered. Usually it's theoretically, let's say if Colorado struck out on those three guys and didn't get them and they're still looking for a quarterback in June, that's when you bring out guys uh to evaluate in person. These kids, the high three-star recruits, the four-star recruits, they're not really going to go camp anywhere aside from like the Elite 11 stuff to, right. to really get, you know, into these prestigious camps. They're not going to do, you know, a CU camp, I wouldn't think. Yeah, so they'll, they'll you know, obviously they'll do their own workouts with them and make the determination whether or not he's really ready to play at this level. I think Cord is probably the most likely landed target at this point. Um, but I think the other two that we mentioned, too, Chase Garbers and Tyler Lytle, they definitely have interest as well. So getting any of those three guys, I think you'd have to be pretty happy. Yeah. Lytle, you mentioned his size, 6'5". He's got a, a pretty fast re- release, looks really accurate on film. And he's got 17 offers. Um, Arizona State's coming after him hard. So there's definitely competition there as well. Colorado Rules asked, 
Do you expect any commitments from the spring game visits? If so, who? Um, I haven't heard rumblings of prospect X or prospect Y being close to committing. I think uh, if you look at the energy around recruiting right now with Cheverini and the facilities being finalized, I think I would venture to guess that these two junior days are going to result in a commitment or multiple commitments. It just might be a little bit more down the road. It might not necessarily be instant gratification. They commit on the spot type of thing. Yeah, I would have to agree with that. No one really seems like they're ready to pull the trigger just yet. A lot of kids these days are waiting through the summer to go take all their visits and, you know, see what else is out there when they're out of school. Uh, you know, the the fact that we have so many viable in-state targets this year, I think maybe moves up our commitment timeline a little bit. We might have a few more guys than we're used to seeing by the time summer gets through, which is awesome. Um, assuming a few of these guys from Colorado that we feel good about um, hit that button, but I wouldn't expect any any more guys to you know pop in the middle of April. It'll be interesting to see how they go about recruiting the Mullen 2017 trio because these are kids that they offered got offered from CU when they were sophomores, and they're kind of dragging their feet, and that's totally understandable. I mean, it's still super early in the process for them. Does Colorado put pressure on them at some point here? What would be your your plan of attack there? Uh, with recruiting those kids. Honestly, to me, it just depends on how confident you feel in other guys at their position. I mean, if you if you feel like there's another guy around the country that's ready to commit and you think they're equal talent, you move on. Um, if you don't feel that way, then you hold out. I mean, I, I still think it's pretty early to start hitting that panic button about what they're going to do. I mean, it seemed like at least two of the three Mullen boys were looking to have commitment locked up before their senior year. And I think that's plenty of time for CU to hold off and, you know, go after other targets during the football season if they need. Yeah. Well, a buff asked, will CU still continue to recruit Florida, Georgia, and some of the southern states with the renewed focus on Texas? Uh, absolutely. Yeah, you've got Tumpkin. He does New Orleans and Miami. You've got Charles Clark recruits Georgia and Jacksonville and then Levitt still with Tampa. That's not going to change. It's just... What you're hoping for is similar results into those areas as we saw last cycle. Mm -hmm. And then the Chevrini factor has been very evident with the Texas kids and the La Mirada kids in some of those areas. Even in-state, uh, he's made a big impact there. So it's it's not that they're not recruiting those other areas. It's just there's all of a sudden there's more news to report out of Dallas. For me, making my call is to call recruits. I've had a hard time finding kids in that area that had really strong interest in CU. And now a lot of them are saying they're going to visit Boulder, which is, is a big change. Yeah, definitely. I think the it kind of seems like they're not recruiting Florida and Georgia anymore simply because you're hearing so much more about these Texas kids. When in reality, I mean, we ended up with four or five kids out of those southern states last year. I guess six if you include Louisiana and Bonham or Barham. But, um, yeah, I mean, I think you'll you'll still hopefully look to get between three and six guys out of those states every year. And now you facilitate some of that Texas in there as well into maybe some of that middle ground. So now you have a big base in all the big recruiting states that you're looking for to me. So we're just hearing a lot more about Texas right now. But I still think those Florida kids and those Georgia kids will, you know, you'll start hearing about them as well as the process goes along. Ralphie's running on Buff Stampede asked, who would win in a cage match, you or Tyler? <laughs> I'm going to say Tyler. I might be able to hang in there for, I don't know, a minute. But uh, it's definitely a first-round tap-out oh, from, from Adam. 
<laughs> I, I will say that he's probably more aggressive than me. Like, it takes a while to get me pissed off enough to actually hurt you. So, he's got that going for him for sure. And he's I guarantee you he's in better shape than I am. So, if he can outlast me, he'd be in good shape there too. But, yeah, I guess I'm a pretty big dude overall. It'd be fun. We, we could, we'll throw a few other guys into this cage match and watch the bloodshed or something. I don't know. <laughs> Well, you were a bouncer in, in college, right? Yeah. Did anybody try to start anything with you? Oh, yeah, all the they... time. Okay. Yeah, in college. There's a lot. Yeah. Well, you were working, lot. though, so you're probably not going to act on some of the urges, too. Well, I mean, in college, you kind of have to. I mean, there are definitely some some stories that we can talk about off the air. <laughs> so that happened while I was bouncing in college, for sure. But, yeah, that was a fun job. Let you get a lot of aggression out. 6'7", 250. What, what, am I, what am I facing in the ring here? Oh, now? Yeah, uh, I'm like I'm like yeah. You know, basically you give basically away, you six seven. I'm about two ninety right now. Okay, yeah, I am. I'm yeah. getting crushed. <laughs> yeah, I'm. Yeah, it's a wide body. <laughs> if I was gonna have a chance in this uh, this cage match, I would have to get dirty. I'd have to be biting and doing everything I could. I really just I'd have to grow out my fingernails me. for a while. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. I really just think you have to outlast me. I feel like I probably could last like one or two minutes before I was completely gassed. So I'd have to kind of pull the Floyd Mayweather yeah. and just kind of run around and not let you catch me? Yeah, just hope I don't get a hold of you in that period <laughs> of time, I guess. All right. LJ Buffs asked, can we get an update on your media tree? Seems like your rate of hiring student interns and getting them jobs is high. Ryan Konigsberg, Brandon Bird, William Whalen. Speaking of which, what happened to that blonde? I don't know the answer to your last question there. It's not my media tree for sure. <laughs> William Whalen was uh, already on the beat when he came over to work with me. And he was the one that actually discovered Ryan Konigsberg. We were able to bring over Ryan when he was still a, a student. It's great to see these guys have success. Brandon Bird is doing play-by-play -play now. And I know he's he's having fun with that. Ryan Konigsberg uh, moving up in the food chain. And, but uh, no, I mean, it's definitely not my media tree. It was great working with all those guys. And uh, I think we're going to... Seen here more from William Whalen in the future, so that'll be good. Yep. Um, rumors abound. <laughs> rumors abound. Patrick Goodos, he's working with me now. It's good mm -hmm. to have his stuff. Tyler, of course. When did I'm trying to think of? You were a subscriber for a while. Was that towards the end of your college days? When I started subscribing, yeah, I think I started subscribing in 2006 or seven. So I would have been a sophomore or junior, and I've you know been on the board ever since. Caused a lot of problems. I think I started doing some actual stuff with you. Man, it's been a while now, I guess, huh? Like three, I actually three remember or four the years. And now that I think of it, I remember the first piece you sent me. It was because I was editing it uh, out in at Washington State's press box. Uh, it was the day that they had the comeback with the Nick Costa touchdown, the Jordan Webb uh, quarterback sneak. Um, and I remember because I'm, I'm editing, it was a story about Tad Boyle and kind of putting some of the success that they'd had under him in his early years in context. And right. It was great stuff. And I remember because there was fires all around Washington State and they didn't even know if they were going to play the football game that morning. And I remember editing Tyler's first piece as I'm looking out over all this fog. So that's, <laughs> that brings back some memories there. Ryan is doing great stuff. It's, just, it's good to see. And we've all remained friends, which is, which yeah, is great. Um, it was great to see William out in, in Las Vegas. So, uh, you know, hopefully... Again, it's not a media tree, but hopefully we'll get some more talented people coming through and working for us. Um, all right, moving along here. Moose5145 asked, two questions, both for Tyler. How much prep goes into your CSU trash talk? Do you miss Matthew Stevens on Twitter? Um, this question is awesome, so appreciate <laughs> you for that. Uh, this may come as a surprise, but actually no prep whatsoever goes into my 
CSU trash talk. It all comes very naturally to me. They give me a lot of ammunition, which I appreciate. Thanks, CSU. Um, but yeah, I mean, I don't know. I just, I guess I, I just love talking crap about CSU, man. It's a lot of fun. You know, just like any other little brother relationship, for those of you out there with little brothers, you just gotta give them the prod every now and then, see if you can irritate them a little bit. So yeah, there's there's no prep. I've got stuff in my head from years and years of situations that I just keep with me until the time is right. Uh, so yeah. Um, do I miss Matthew Stevens on Twitter? Well, I guess my answer to that question is, is he no longer on Twitter? I, I, maybe he isn't. I don't know. I miss that, but... I'm assuming you're just saying because he's not as active when it's not football season. I actually follow him because I just like to see all the ridiculous stuff that he says um, and the ridiculous articles he puts out that I can just laugh at when I'm in a bad mood. So, no, I don't miss him. He still gives me plenty of great stuff to laugh at and, you know, just remind me of why they're CSU. So, <laughs> once again, shout out to Matt Stevens. Keep it going, buddy. I've uh, known Matt Stevens in person, and he comes off a little bit differently there, as a lot of people do, I guess. Ryan Krause, who runs the, the CSU side, he's a good dude. But yeah, I, I didn't really have anything against CSU because I didn't grow up out here. But the more I've interacted with CSU fans on Twitter, it just it kind of builds up kind of your animosity towards them, honestly. Yeah. It's, it's just human nature, you know? If, People are just constantly tweeting at you nonsense. It's going to get under oh, your skin eventually. Oh, complete nonsense. And they, but this year was just so much fun for me because they were so convinced that they were ready to go next level and just fell so hard on their face that it was just so much fun. Like, no one even talks to people from CU on CSU Twitter anymore because there's nothing to say. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, last year was so much more miserable. And we told them exactly how this was going to go down. And, of course, it pretty much did. And so now they're just wallowing in their depression over there. Like, what are we going to do? We're not. We're never making it to a big-time conference now. It's like, well, yeah. wonder where you heard that before. When I hear uh, the CSU folks talk about the football team, they seem pretty optimistic about the future long-term under Bobo. Like, but we're talking more like in a couple of years. I, they're really down on CSU's chances this upcoming season. That's a game you cannot lose. You cannot lose. Yeah, I mean, if we want to be the program that we keep striving and saying that we're going to be in a couple of years, you just have to win those games. I mean, obviously, it's always a close game. It's a rivalry game. You can say it's not a rivalry game, but it is. Mm -hmm. I, there's animosity towards that program that, you know, that puts it in some sort of rivalry category for me. And I just don't like to hear him talk, honestly. So I prefer to win. Yeah, I mean, the CU fans definitely have an inferiority complex over CSU, but there's still a lot of threads started about CSU on our board. That, oh, yeah. Too many to say that it, it, there's no, not yeah, I mean, that, that I, rivalry aspect. You can't say that you don't like them, and I don't like them, without saying that they're also a rival to some degree. Like, I understand that we win that game and we're supposed to win that game, so maybe it's not the true definition of a rivalry, but if I don't like you, you're a rival to me. Simply put, I mean, it may not be the most classic case of a robbery, but there's definitely some aspect of a robbery there, no doubt. All right, well, that was fun. Thanks, everyone, that asked questions. Tyler, it was good catching up with you and talking a little CU football. We've got a basketball show coming your way as well. A lot to talk about there with the recent attrition, some of the, the early schedule for next year being, being announced. So definitely tune into that. Thanks for listening. Go out those feet.
the masterpiece. You should be rolling with me. You should be rolling with me. You're a real life fantasy. You're a real life fantasy. But you're moving so carefully. Let's start living dangerously. Talk to me, baby. 